Go out there and do it. Just do whatever you want. It's fun. Um, so I, I wanted to, I think I've talked to you about this before, but I'll start the show with this. Um, I still don't have my family, or I didn't until recently, on the the Apple family plan for stuff, like iCloud and Apple Music and all that. Mm-hmm. You guys on the family plan or the whatever it's called? Oh, yeah. Yeah, have to be. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, and I've been wasting money, right? Paying Apple, multiple Apple Music subscriptions and everyone buying separate, separate iCloud storage and all that kind of stuff. I finally yeah. got everything merged. But and the, and the reason that I procrastinated for so long is because I, I've been an Apple user for long enough that like when iTunes came out and you could buy stuff through iTunes, like I created an iTunes account. That's what it was called back then. And then I, I guess it was maybe after the iPhone came out and oh, it was mobile me. Right. So which now for people who don't remember mobile me is the predecessor to iCloud. And so when mobile me came out, you had to sign up. Um, when you sign up with mobile me, you got a me.com email address. I think you might have had a choice of one other domain, but like my iTunes account, it was my Gmail email address. So you can't use that with mobile. You know, mobile me was a new thing. It, it gave you a new email address, a new username. All right. So I had, you know, my iTunes account and now I've got a mobile me account, which then became iCloud. And now they're both just considered Apple IDs, right? That can be used for anything. I mean, you can, they can be used for iTunes. They can be used on the Apple store. They can be used for iCloud, you can use, I mean, any of these things, right? And, but my problem has been is like, I've got all this purchase history under my original iTunes account. And my iCloud account has like all of my text history. It's got all my storage, all, like my photos are in there and photo stream and all that kind of stuff. And, and you can't merge Apple IDs. Yeah, um, that's going to be my question. Cause I remember having the same issue a number of years ago and I had to just abandon one of them. Yeah. And if you, and if, I think I guess the biggest bummer is, is if you have purchases under both, and I don't think I really had significant purchases under my iCloud account. So that's so that became my strategy in terms of which one of these am I going to? Because since you can't merge them, I mean you you can't. Well, you certainly can't merge purchase history. Um, you could manually merge, I guess. You know, if you you know like things like your photos and um, uh, maybe storage files you have stored. You could you know merge. You could move those over to a different iCloud account, I guess, but a lot of stuff you're just going to lose. Uh, but I went with the strategy of, okay, I'm going to keep my iTunes account because that's got all my history. And then I'll just abandon my iCloud account and um, use uh, iCloud using my iTunes account. So I basically, I mean, that's essentially what I did. Uh, and I will say, I have to say, uh, the family plan has a potential solution to this, which I could have used. Because you can have up to five, I think it's five people on a family plan. Mm-hmm. And I have four people in my family who are all old enough to have Apple IDs. Um, and so that leaves one extra slot that I could have used for my extra Apple ID. And that would have solved that. But but I've always thought to myself, you know, I I don't want to be carrying around this extra Apple ID like the rest of my life. I, I'm not going to get on the family plan until I can get rid of one of these Apple IDs or merge them somehow. That's what I've thought this whole time. And so that's what I finally did. So I signed out of iCloud. Uh, and when you do that, it says, you know, do you want to, you want to pull everything down? And I did this on my Mac and my phone. So it's, it's kind of weird. It's like, I, I said yes to both of them. 
really not knowing what the hell is happening. And then I signed back into iCloud using my iTunes credentials and initialized the family plan under that mm-hmm. and, you know, put in my credit card or whatever and signed up. Um, and now I'm to, and now I just, you know, I have that one, I'm using that one Apple ID. I guess it pushed my photos and stuff up. I'm not, I haven't even really checked that. Um, Probably took them I think from you your might, phone or something, right? And synced it. Yeah. And it's, you know, Apple, Apple photos and iCloud or iCloud photos, I guess they call it, you know, it does this weird thing where um, it will keep, what is it? Um, I forget now. It keeps, it will, I guess it keeps a, 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 it can keep a lower resolution, lower quality version of photos on your phone. And I guess it keeps the higher res ones on iCloud to, in order to like optimize storage on your device. And, and that's one thing I was worried about. Like when I signed out of iCloud, what was left on my device? Was it the high quality photos or the lesser quality photos? Mm. <laughs> I'm still not sure. So I still may, I may have, you know, fuzzy, uh, you know, over 10 years of, you know, probably now low quality family photos. Right. <laughs> I still have that old iCloud. I haven't canceled it yet. I'm scared. I'll probably carry, I'll probably keep that forever. Just keep paying the, you know, 20 bucks a month or whatever it is. Cause I'm, I'll be, I'll never have the, the nerves to turn that thing off. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, at some point I'll realize that, oh crap, I forgot to get this out of my old iCloud account. You know, and I'll, you know, if I still have it, it'll be there and I can go get it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess it, I mean, I think it looks like it pushed stuff back up. I think it even pushed my photo stream back up, which was, which is weird. Um, I didn't really expect that, but overall it went pretty well. There was, I had a couple of glitches, you know, I, I mean, Apple stuff works pretty well, but there's always these little edge cases. Um, there was one, I've had some, some family like screen time weird glitches. And there's one glitch I hit when I was just trying to really, I think get, get logged in. And, you know, if you Google around enough, I finally found in some weird Apple form. It's like you had, I think I had to log, log back into my old iCloud account and sign out of something or set some setting and then log back into my, uh, you know, my, I guess I uh, log back into iCloud using my iTunes account. And then, and then I could, you know, set stuff up. It's just weird. And I would have never known because you just got a completely white screen. Um, you'd get a login and then I just get a white screen with nothing. And it would just spin forever. So luckily somebody figured that out and put it on the internet. But uh, yeah, so we're now we're I've got, you know, I'm down to one Apple ID, uh, just kind of abandoned one. And um, whenever I get the guts to cancel that old iCloud account, then I will theoretically be saving money. <laughs> In theory. It does yeah. kind of suck that you can't merge accounts so that you have to kind of keep track of that account. It's probably just too difficult to merge. I mean, who knows what all that involves? I mean, because you're you're talking about merging purchase history and all kinds of iCloud stuff and photos, and that's I don't know that that would probably create more problems than Apple has the capability of solving. The so they they've got tons of money in the bank. No, John Soda. Well, I was going to say Soda Salesforce. Salesforce does not have a ton. I mean, they have more. You know, <laughs> I mean, to me, it's a ton of money. But compared to Apple, it's 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 you know, it's like a penny. Um, but, but it's, you know, it's like, you know, how, you're saying, yeah, it's like, you know, how many, you know, how many is 50,000 employees and $40 billion in revenue? Is, is that not enough to get things as a hundred billion? And, you know, in the bank, is that, is not, is that not enough to solve problems? I mean, apparently not is the answer to these things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, to, to your experience a couple of days ago on, on Slack, it's like you're all you're trying to do is get your job done. You're in GAX and, you know, this is a closed source system and there's no logs you can go look at and you get GAX and you just, you're stopping your tracks. You're done. You're dead. And, you know, someone's paying your salary and some client's paying your rate and everything. It's like you're, you're, you can't get anything done. Um, and, you know, again, how many billions do we need to solve this problem? And I don't know. Apparently, 40 billion is not enough, though. We need more billions to solve this. Like, just give me access to the log or something so I can <laughs> so so I can figure out why this system crapped itself. And then I can try to. You know, work around it so it doesn't keep crapping itself. That's what you. <laughs> that's, that's the strategy. This is this is the modern enterprise software strategy. Try to keep it from crapping itself, huh? Yep. It's like, yeah, you didn't do anything wrong. I mean, if so, you would have gotten a user land error, not a, not some, you know, I, of course I love it when you get the, when it really craps itself and you get Oracle error messages. That's, that's when you know that just something blew up. <laughs> well, this issue ended up being, uh, I think it ended up in a, in that state because it was a nested, auto, well, I'd say nested automation. It was a normal piece of automation, but because it ended up nested inside of a lead conversion. For some reason, it crapped and decided not to report the error. Um, but it was basically just a null error that was happening really deep in the call stack, and it didn't come up as a normal error. Yeah, that's, yeah. It, it was actually with the, the, I guess, that Labs project, the dynamic roll-up thingy tool. I don't know what that is. Oh, um, declarative yeah. roll-up summary or whatever. D, yeah. What DLRS, is that what it was? Yep. Declarative lookup roll-up summary? What, is, what the hell does it stand for? <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, but they, it was, it was that okay. once we okay. found that. And we think what it, what it was is I think that tool has some history, and I think someone created a new roll-up using the old tooling, not the new tooling, the new kind of interface, because the offender was not showing up in the main UI as something that was active. So we didn't find it until we kept poking around and I just happened to go into one of the tabs and, and saw this thing. They're going, Hey, that's not in the list. What is this doing here? And it's active and it's, it's modifying things that we think are causing an issue. Turned it off and everything started working. Uh, this is the thing where you're getting the GAC. Yep. Yeah. Also, did we clarify? So the GAC, the GAC number or ID, whatever it's called, that is, that is to a specific event, a specific throwing, a, a specific crapping of the pants, right? Right. Well, yeah. Not, I mean, and it's, okay. It's not uh, like a type of error. It's, it's a specific, this system crapped its pants at this time under this user context, and here's the stack trace for when that happened, right? Right. Which okay. is probably why we'll never see a lookup tool where we can look that up ourselves. Well, I mean, the, yeah. I mean, the Salesforce's challenge is, is that, you know, it's, it's a security, it's a major security problem to, um, to, just to show users a stack trace. It just it reveals too much about how the system is implemented and what they're running under the under the hood, right? And so, yeah, they they really can't. I I don't know what a I don't know what the answer is, um, but they need to do something because it's again this this is why it makes it makes it hard to to hire you know real developers to do Salesforce work because they see shit like this and they just go running and screaming like the hell no this is, who in the hell would work on this kind of system? I mean, I don't have time for that. You know, this is a bad for my career. Well, that, that's why we and have bad for code. bad for my we don't need bad for my soul. Developers, oh, that's, that's true. That's, that's the solution. Well, that's maybe they're just punting. They're like, you know what? We're never going to make this good. We're always just going to have Apex. We're always going to have Gax. Let's just go to 
let's just go going in all in on on low code to, to uh of course the low code <laughs> the irony is is that doesn't solve any of these problems either you still get meaningless error actually actually it's gotten a lot better i mean i remember the days of flow when you couldn't get anything it just you know system craps itself and nothing not even not even a gack id or anything <laughs> Uh, and then you get like the, what is it like? I don't know. You get some message about, you know, contact your system administrator. I'm like my system, I am the system administrator. No, my favorite <laughs> is getting that, that GAC and it telling you log a case with Salesforce to know this. And everyone knows if you, if you put that in, it, it's not going to see the light of day or it's going to yeah. be days. Although I should, I haven't done that recently, so I shouldn't really talk. I mean, my last experience using partner support with Salesforce was really great. But I've been on the other side as a consultant and have Salesforce just basically ignore my supports because it, it involves something that we did custom. Even though when, when you have when you run a service that that gacks this often and has these these things that are that are opaque to the users slash developers, whatever, you know, the problem is, especially at Salesforce to scale, you, you can't hire enough people to answer these requests. They're just it's unsustainable. It, you can't even do it. They, they've got to fix the problem. They've got to have some kind of way to have some transparency around GACs that, you know, in a way that obviously doesn't cause security problems. And I don't, and I don't know how you do that. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm sure if it were easy, they would have done it. And, you know, you know, they know there's a need for it. I mean, I'm sure these, because what do we all do? We <laughs> politely, with try, without trying to abuse relationships, you know, we reach out to someone that we know that works at Salesforce that can look something up for us. But that's also, I mean, I, I feel bad every time I have to do that. Yeah, I try to make sure I'm double checking things. I mean, I turn tracing on, on the debug log and, oh, by the way, is there any way in IntelliJ to search the tree? I really like the new tree view of the logger. You know, on the logger, you get the tab and it's got the, just the raw, raw text. And then you can look at the tree view, which kind of, Puts that, everything are you talking about something. inside IntelliJ? Yeah, inside IntelliJ. Uh, okay. I don't even know. I don't. I'm not even familiar with this tree view, so oh, I don't know. Well, you you asked me if you can search it. Well, I should. Be. Yeah, I well, I, there's no obvious way to search it, and I wish there was. I mean, if there's an idea to be put out there, it's that one. Is, is to be able to search that tree because I, I think having the the things in tree nodes that kind of show the execution path and it popping back out helps with context in terms of what when it happened. It's kind of hard to get that from just reading the full text, just because once you turn on full tracing on, it's just a big jumble of, of, of things you have to read and it takes hours. So it'd be nice to be able to search that. But, hmm. but yeah, I, did, I tried my best to do my due diligence before I even attempted to try to reach out and, and ask. And um, So I, the answer you got, did that, was that helpful? I mean, it was a null pointer exception at some point, but I don't, you know, the that's... The null pointer uh, portion of it didn't help me, but I did get a little bit yeah, of Yeah, because it wasn't, it wasn't your null pointer exception. It was Salesforce's null pointer exception. So then you have to figure out, you have to look at, you know, the stack trace and the, and the, and the, and the, the chain of, you know, I don't even know what they're called, causal exceptions, right? You know, that was, you know, and to try to figure out what happens. And, and I don't even, I don't think they'll give that to you is the, is the other problem. Well, I did get a little bit of a... <clears throat> snippet from that stack trace that kind of showed one word and it had to do with um, some kind of lead task update routine that was happening. And that still might've been an internal Salesforce operation. So I'm, I'm thinking when you do lead conversion, it, it moves all the tasks over and something that might've been what that was, um, which, which points <laughs> again, it's, it's to your point on security. I mean, me knowing that probably isn't something that they wanted to expose, but I th what that told me is that there's something to do with activities. And that's when 
I realized, or that's when I went on the hunt for anything that was touching activities when it came to leads and contacts, because that was the only place we had activities on this particular um, result set that was a record that was given us this, this error. And that's how I ended up nailing it down to this one process, this one dynamic lookup summary process, because that's exactly what it was doing. It was rolling up, it was counting the number of activities at a certain subject and rolling that up to the contact. Hmm. Um, and that's the one we disabled and that's what solved it. Yeah. Another thing you got to watch for, for on the, on those rollups, or at least the DLRS thing is um, that, you know, it does queries to do these rollups. And mm-hmm. if you have, you know, sig- decent size amounts of data in your org, it can easily hit the, you know, non-selective query problem. So, oh, I mean, don't get me. St- well, yeah, let's get started <laughs> on that because we are talking, this is a low code show. So I'm going to rant and bash low code. Because uh, I think, I, I think these tools require a fair and amount wait, of is this a low Is this a low code show or a low class show? Uh, it's, uh, people will probably call it low class. <laughs> a little, class. little bit of both. <laughs> no, it's probably like 90% low class, 10% low code. I don't know. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's a good ratio. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think words matter. And when people are building these processes in Process Builder or in Flow, when you see something that says update these records or an immediate action, go and update this, that means it's going to update it. And if you have a multi-step process and you're letting it fall through into the, all these other different steps, it's going to run that update that many times. And if you're updating the, the same object, the same records, it's going to rerun it at least once. So you yeah. take a four-step process with fall-throughs that each do in their own unique updates, that could be eight executions. Yep. So, well, and this is the trigger hell. This is the trigger hell thing. I mean, this is just... It is, and we've tried to do things to try to mitigate that. But guess what? Our mitigation attempts cause issues when it comes to these process builders. Ah, oh, I hate it that I said that. I've been trying really hard not to say process builders. I've been trying very hard to say process builder. But, but process. you also can't say... Pro- you also just can't call it processes because there's other... Th- there's pre-existing things in the Salesforce world that are called processes. I know, but I figure if I so. say process builder processes... No, that's just the problem. It's a mouthful. But it is, but it means... It's, it's better than saying process builders. I feel gross saying that. I really that do hope they gross. go away. I think that, well, yeah, isn't there a rumor that they're probably going to phase it out in favor of just a more expanded flow? flow? I think so. Yeah, that makes more sense to me. Because at this point, it's more of a detriment than anything. Because what's happening is, is you update something so that you can fill, pre-populate a field to meet some, com- some kind of requirement. But you have some automation that runs that says, oh, anytime this, op- this, we'll say opportunity is updated and you see this value, go and do something. Well, if you don't, code it correctly, meaning our trigger, we, we say, oh, I've seen this record before. I don't have to reprocess it in the same transaction. Well, guess what? Every update on a process, on a process builder process is within that same transaction. So you're probably getting yeah. two or three updates within that same transaction. Well, I've already started ignoring that opportunity on that first update, but the update, the, the update that changes the value to something that I do need to pay attention to <laughs> happens like four steps down and it never gets executed because I'm already ignoring things. Well, that's, that's like the problem with, you know, ignoring, um, you know, these DML events. Well, I, yeah, I know. But the alternative is, is you end up running your code several times. And if your code does a lot of queries or does anything that, that eats up enough CPU time, 
then that's an issue. So then you think, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go to asynchronous processing. And then you go look at the Apex jobs and you see that your freaking job got executed like <laughs> four times on a save. And I'm like, oh, crap. Or even worse, like 4,000 and it hasn't stopped because it's in some you know loop from hell. Oh, I hope not. But <laughs> you, I've seen that before. It's really tough to try to to try to mitigate your risk in this platform because it's just changing so often and it's moving so often and people are doing things without understanding the ramifications of what they're doing. Um, and, you know, I understand it. it's a tool and, and people have the responsibility of using that tool correctly. That's really not something Salesforce can do. Um, although I still have the same problem that I always have, which is Salesforce marketing that just kind of says, go out there and do it. Just do whatever you want. It's fun. Five minutes and you're done. And you've built a whole application <laughs> and in hooray and love and all this. And I'm just like, God, that's where it gets cringy because, you know, sure, you can do it that fast. But should you do it that fast? Should you take the time to think through what you're doing and what you're implementing and what the ramifications are? I mean, that, that gets into problem solving, not just problem solving, but architecting. Uh, a system that your business relies on, you probably shouldn't be just tossing in random crap that takes you a minute willy-nilly. Yeah. Well, people learn their lessons sooner or later. Already down the rabbit hole, so let's go. Let's get into the low code yeah. love stuff. Um, I decided well, so, so to I, just, I, I, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I happened to jump on Twitter probably at the wrong time. I guess it was right in the middle of this low code day or whatever. And I was like, oh, this is great. I tweeted. I was, and I don't tweet often. I'm not a big tweeter anymore. Um, but I was like, this, this low code stuff is great. I, I, you know, I'm going to have to start hiring, a, you know, hiring for uh, all these, all this org rescue business I'm going to get after people destroy their orgs. Because, <laughs> you know, I, it's going to happen. It happens all the time. I mean, it's a, I could, there's an endless amount of that business, by the way. That's a good business opportunity. Anyone who wants to start a business, it's called org rescues. Oh, I don't know if I want to be in that business. It's it's it actually sucks, but I mean, it's it's like, do you want to be in the like uh what you know this company like Serve Pro right in that you know like um fire and water damage? Do you want to be in that business? I mean, it's a messy business, but man, they make a lot of money. You know, if someone's catching floods out or you know they have a partial fire in their house, they got to restore it. I mean, that make a lot of money in that business. Yeah, but are people really going to go out and pay to have their org rescued? I mean, you'd have to have a lot of... It's really easy to look at a, at fire damage and go, yeah, this is messed up and this is going to take someone a lot of work to do. But everything's so hidden when it comes to software. It's all hidden behind the scenes. Yeah, your buttons don't work very well or anything, but you're like, oh, you're going to charge me that much just to fix my button? <laughs> yeah, it's like, my, my button stopped working. Can you fix my button? Like, it's... Uh, <laughs> like, you just need to, you know, I don't know, like, reset it or something. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you the button on my... MacBook keyboard doesn't work. The F, the F key, oddly enough. Because you dropped too many F bombs. It just started ignoring them. It's like, I'm, it's I'm done with this. Probably, probably not a coincidence that it's the F key that's worn out. <laughs> it's not even in your name, so you can't blame it on having to type your name over and over. I know. I know. Or it could be having to type force everywhere to do everything. Oh, that could be SFDX force, force, force. Why do I have to have force every time? That's the only option. Everything's, everything's under force. Why is it? I don't understand, I still understand this. It's weird. I, was, I keep thinking about the SFDX, just the, the interface it exposes. And it's so weird because it's, it's um, you know, like uh, the Unix philosophies, philosophies, you know, you have all, lots of different small tools that just do one simple job, but they're designed to be able to be like all piped together and connected to other tool, other tools and command line utilities and processes and things. Whereas, the Salesforce, you know, SFDX is kind of the opposite. It's, it's here's this one executable that mm -hmm. does everything. 
Yeah. And so therefore you've got to type out, you know, SFDX and then like eight words separated by colons, which that those are convenient to type. And cry the shift key. Um, can I remap something on my keyboard to colon so I don't have to do the shift key every time? <laughs> is that possible? Well, okay, you just maybe do swap colon and semicolon. Have aliases for everything, and and then everything is just there's no colons. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. But I almost got um, kind of crazy with it because I was starting to create kind of functions and things. I was like, oh, I'm going crazy with it. I just want to alias the the main command, and I'll leave everything else the same. So I, yeah, I did. Yeah. I did kind of pull back from doing some crazy stuff. There's only a few functions that I have in there, but. I think they're useful. Yeah. It's weird that you can, you know, you can type like, uh, I don't know, SFDX force colon org and which is incomplete, but it will give you, it'll, it'll show you a list of everything that lives under org, all the commands under org. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't gotten to that point yet, if you're just like, well, I can't remember where this thing lives. I'm just going to type SFDX force. Does it, does it list you the things under force? Nope. In order to get those, you have to do like force dash dash help or something. I can't remember what it is now, but I've never understood that. You know, if you type at SFDX Force, it draws you a nice, big, pretty picture of a cloud. It does? <laughs> yes. <laughs> instead, of, instead of telling you the, the top-level things under Force. And I just, I don't know. And the end of that is a... Uh, that, that sounds like a little Easter egg there. I should, I should end that as an issue. Under, no, it's not an Easter I'm sure everyone's seen that. It's like, you almost I get that. seen it. You ever type that? No. Am I wrong about that? Let me double check. Let's see. SFDX Force. Yeah, <laughs> and it's got links to links to documentation. <laughs> it's like oh, okay, I don't want I don't want a pretty pictures or a link to documentation. I just want you to list uh, list me the things that are under force. But if you do force and then dash dash help, you get those. That should that should be the default. That should be what you get. <laughs> oh well, yeah. All right. So I thought I'd take I thought I would take from this event and distill it down to everything you needed to know. Um, but it turns out there isn't too much you need to know. Uh, this, this event <laughs> Surprise. was a surprise, and I feel like I feel like you owe me like ten beers for for. I got really drunk watching this thing, to be honest. To the point where I, when I got to the AMA section of it, and I I heard the first response to the first question, I shut it off. I cursed as loud as I could and walked off to the point where like my wife was checking on me, like, "Are you okay? Is everything okay?" And it's just, I just I couldn't take it anymore after that. Um, it wasn't all bad. I mean, it was typical Salesforce campiness. I think uh, Jillian was kind of hosting the kind of virtual party for it. We had some members of the community up there, some MVPs, uh, friends of the show, Adam Olshansky. Shansky? Is that how you Olshansky. Christy Olshansky. Campbell on it. I think Christy was entertaining to watch. She was always making faces, so that was kind of funny. Uh, Jillian did her best to keep the energy. You know, you could tell that she was what she was doing was something she would normally do in front of a lot of people and have feedback for it, but she wasn't getting that feedback. So it's, there were points where she was doing something and it was great energy, but it lacked the feedback. And so it kind of just paused and then she moved on to the next thing, which I don't falter for. It's just, that's just the way it came out because of the situation we're in. Um, Gearhalt was in it, but he was basically relegated to, they kind of put him in kind of an interviewer perspective where he would, they would queue him up and he would kind of intro- introduce people and then ask a question, but he'd only get to ask one question per person. So it meant it felt like he was just there to queue up the question and queue up, queue them up to talk. And that was it. So he had a really minor role in it. Um, there, there was a few other people in it that, that will be in the clips and everything, but 
overall, it was typical Salesforce. You get a lot of customer stories, some of them good, some of them really bad. Um, I didn't think they, they hit the mark. Um, and then, of course, we're talking about low code and all the new features. So we got a demo of that. Uh, but I don't know. Hmm. All right. Well, should we, should we play the, uh, your montage here or whatever this is? Yeah, it's going to be the one that called fast. Oh, it is fast. You said not to do fast. Well, I didn't want you to play it because I wanted you to be surprised. Oh. Okay. So what about the other one? The, just the clips? Other one's is the, that... clips. the other one's boring. <laughs> okay. So fast. Okay. Well, hang on. I'm going to have to rejigger my flexor oh, You weren't here. ready, man. You're not professional. Well, you told me the wrong one. This is all the power of moving fast. It's how fast they did this. And so fast speed. Oh, uh, you're, you're right, John. So fast, so fast. We can build an app so fast for you. We can create technical debt so fast you won't believe it. You'll be having to hire expensive consultants in no time. So quickly. If you want to count this time, I think you can count. You know we bring the fun here, right? Go digital. How do I go digital in this digital, in a digital world? It's fun. It's fast. And build the apps fast. And fast. See, Flow has this amazing community of Flownatics. Um. Now we're going to close our eyes, jump in our DeLorean, go 88 miles an hour. <laughs> what I just say? Flex capacity. <laughs> 1.21 gigawatts. Um, Flow yeah. helps IT move faster. And now we kick off automation magic. Lighting fast are amazing. This is amazing. It's a magical time. For ad Wait, you did this, John. I did do this. Oh, you okay? You're adding these clips. You, okay. Oh, you made this whole thing. I did make this whole thing. Oh my god. Okay, I thought this was some Salesforce produced thing. No. <laughs> okay. This is John. Okay. By the way, Salesforce, I was going to say, man, to I'm making montages on the just <laughs> exactly. It sounds professional. I was like, wait a minute. Those sound like my clips. Those, is this my soundboard? You can use point-and-click builders to automate business processes quickly. And for developers, you don't have to use as much code. And you don't have to write test classes, allowing you to deploy faster. Oh, God. But wow. That's such great advice. <laughs> you know what? I, you don't have I, to I did, <laughs> You'll listen horrible, on. Horrible. You'll, horrible. You'll, you'll, I really nailed these clips, to be honest. Just wait a second. You'll hear yourself again. If you if you do say so yourself. I don't have to come with a compromise. And I'm like, why? That's the power of low code. You don't have to choose between security and speed. That's neat. We've been hanging out. We're so productive. We've been hacking code and, and doing clicks, not code. While you guys have been talking, we've been creating apps back here. It just happens automatically. It's from the cloud. I'm here at home going through my board game collection. You know what? I want to share with you something that's even more fun than this. Something that my team and I have been working on for some time. It's going to change how you build applications on our platform. <gasps> wow! You can do all kinds of amazing things. And we look forward to seeing what you all are going to be doing with these amazing local features. We want to hear more customer stories about innovating fast, building solutions at scale. This is super exciting time for all of us, whether you're an admin, a developer, or architect. Low code is awesome. Like, that's awesome. With these features coming together, you're going to be able to build applications and pages faster than you've ever done before. For all of you Flownatics out there, I love Flow just as much as you do, but I probably need to take some more trails and learn what you already know. Developers, 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 developers. 
Developers, 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 developers. Yes. Uh, John, that was do? good. How'd I do? That was good. <laughs> I was genuinely laughing. Okay, that was funny. Good. I aim for that. <laughs> and I also appreciate you summing that up so I didn't have to watch it. Yeah, I don't it's about what I thought it was. I don't even know if the clips are worth getting into after hearing that. It, it, I mean, we got a lot of good customers. Not, not a lot of good. God, I got to stop saying that. We got some good, some good customer stories that uh, made sense within the mm-hmm. context. Okay. And there were some that were just like, huh? Well, like you said, it's it's hard to put on those events, especially with everything being, you know, over well, the no, internet. It, it or felt whatever. like something you would get at one of the world tour keynotes where they would have, you know, people come up and share their stories and things. It felt very much like that, except virtually, you know, basically looking at everyone's screens. And it was a live event, so I don't fault any. I don't fault anybody for kind of like tripping on their words or taking a moment to pause and find their spot again and, and continue on. Um, it's just you know, like usual, the stories don't always make sense. Like one of them, they were touting a, a fire department or, or some lab or something where a firefighter con- contracted COVID. And then, and so they needed some way to update their systems to be able to do notifications and communities and all this kind of stuff. And they were, they mentioned they were using a third party for all this dashboard and analytics. And then they talked about the community they built and everything. It just felt like, and they, they said they did it in like in 10 days. And I'm like, you really didn't do it in 10 days. You bought a pr- another product and integrated it in and, and installed it, which I guess, I guess that factors into speed. And then you stood up a really basic community. It just didn't, it wasn't really selling the point to me at all. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is, um, you know, it's a, it's a tool for Salesforce to, you know, continue to, and I can tell you, man, they, whoo, things are getting hot in terms of uh, the push, the push for more revenue, John. Well, uh, but this is, this on, is one of those tools, you know, it's a big marketing. Clips, I mean, what do you think their message is? Um, that just, uh, that uh, look how valuable our, our solution is. Well, it's, think, it's, a, it's a value thing, you know, well, the speed and functionality for, you know, that, that, that their competitors don't have. Well, I think words matter. That makes sense. They, I think they, they use fast over and over and over and over and over fast speed, quickly apps, apps, apps. But they were also using this keyword digital quite a bit. Uh, I didn't clip all the digitals. I was so mainly focused on this fast and speed because I, I heard that so many times on my first listen to. And yes, I had to listen to that like three times. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, fast came up. But I was also noticing as I was listening, digital, 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 digital. And I think that's more of a response to the the kind of everyone stay at home and working remote type thing where they, they just use did digital and digitize and everything over and over as a way to well john digital transformation that's the that's the other big buzzword yeah but it wasn't used in that sense i don't think it was kind of more used in the way of get everything off paper and getting everything off excel because you can't really collaborate between houses that way i mean excel is digital i guess they don't (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Uh, i don't know it's marketing. It's propaganda. It works. Salesforce is good at this. The marketing stuff, the messaging. I mean, demo where, um, uh, you know, and I don't know, but it, as long as you, you know, you're super perky and enthusiastic about it, you know, everyone gets all pumped. And this is, you know, this is, this is fodder to the Salesforce, uh, you know, indoctrinated. They, they, these people love this. I mean, 
it really works. I mean, there's this just massive, you know, army of, of, um, you know, people out there that, and they love it and it, it works. And, you know, it's one well, of those I things. To I a mean, certain extent, I think, I think that's fine. I mean, it, it, the, the declarative tools does, does provide a certain level of accessibility. And yes. because it is drag and drop point and click under, you know, normal, simple things that you need done, it makes the easy stuff easy. The problem is, it makes the complex stuff look easy when it's not. And you get under this illusion that you can start building these more complex stuff without any kind of thought. You just kind of start doing it. And the problem is those little things start stacking up. And if you don't start kind of going in and understanding what you're doing and, and the, the stack that you're building, it could come crumbling down eventually. Well, I mean, you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's not that there's not value to these tools. I mean, I've said that many times that this, it's, really valuable that you can, you know, and that a system administrator can create custom functionality with, you know, creating some flows or some workflows and these different things. I mean, that's great. Um, what's not great is, is being disingenuous about where, what the limits of these things are and what they can do and how fast they actually are and what, and what the consequences of not using the right tool for the job is. I mean, of course, when, why would they? I mean, it's like, companies don't go out and say, you know, caution, here's all the ways this can go bad. You know, they don't do that. So, and I, I don't really expect them to. Um, that's yeah, what I think do, that John. just comes down to how this was very much a marketing thing. You know, we, we like to act like it's a community thing and it, it's, or like they like us to what, think what of about it as the a people, community though, John? thing and as a celebration of the community. But really, it's a marketing thing. I mean, they had, they had little banners printed. They had little cards that said low code love. They had, they had bingo. Uh, and in fact, if you noticed in the clip, there was a little ding. And you might've thought that was someone's phone. But what I noticed is that ding was happening everywhere. And what I think it was, is I think it was a hint that one of the bingo words was said or about to be said. Because I heard that same ding over and over in a lot of different parts of that, the, uh, ha having listened to this a couple of times. So if you ever play- Who's Salesforce playing bingo? bingo? Oh, there's a bingo throughout this whole oh, thing. Okay. You hmm. could print out a sheet and you could, you would, you would watch the- the show and then as a word was said oh, well, uh, you would get to mark it off and you would eventually get bingo so what was on the board what was on the bingo board i don't know i didn't print it out oh, okay that could have been entertaining what to do bingo yeah. uh yeah yeah i just i'm curious what was on the what was on the board but i'm sure speed fast uh secure <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff low yeah. code i'm sure all that was in mm -hmm. there there's a few things in there that I that I wanted to get your reaction to. Uh, one of them being when when they said, as a developer, guess what? You, this makes it fast for you to build stuff, and you don't even have to write tests. Well, I I, I had to stop and comment. You heard my comment on that, right? I mean, that's that's incredibly disingenuous and and really um, a, a disservice to send that message. That actually that that's the worst part of all of this that I heard. That one bugged me too. It because there's a reason that Salesforce requires a certain level of code coverage, and they've sold that to us for years. Ever since they implemented the seventy five percent code coverage, they sold us on it that they, that it's it's to keep the code stable, it's to make sure everything is good. They they use it in their hammer testing when they're about to do releases and everything. They run all that code, but now they're encouraging people to build these things on these declarative tools that doesn't have that. There's no way to validate that a process builder process is functioning the way it's expected. And there's no way to make sure a flow is functioning expected. They, it does have a debug tool on flow, 
but it basically just executes it. You give it some parameters and execute it. And it does, it, it's not even virtualized. It's not even in its own context. It runs it and data gets created in your org. So it's not even a good tool for testing, maybe in a sandbox, but not in production where most people are probably modifying those. So it's really no good way to test. And there's really no automated testing for any of those tools. So it really is, I really don't like that messaging at all. It also goes to show you how Salesforce over the years has, has shifted in terms of w- which factions within Salesforce have more power. Because back in the day, obviously, at the time when Apex came out, you know, there was some, <laughs> there was some technical, some engineering power at Salesforce that, that, that sold the idea that, hey, we should require people to have automated tests for what they're building. And that faction clearly has lost power and they've lost out to the, you know, to the, the marketing and, and revenue focus. Um, well, is it a matter re- of losing power or is it a matter of Salesforce realizing how they sell their product? They don't sell to some CIO saying, hey, we've got this platform and your coders can code against it. No, they sell this platform that you don't need developers for. Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, just what you're saying a minute ago, though, it, it doesn't matter whether you're building with you know, code or some incredibly, I mean, I've seen these crazy complex flows, which are probably disasters in their own right. But I mean, and I saw someone on Twitter, you know, the tweeted this screenshots of these massive flows and like, if, like, if you don't think this is coding, then, you know, you're probably not thinking about it. Right. I mean, you're, you're creating, um, it all boils down to metadata. Anyway, you're creating logic. Right. And, and the thing is, is, if you have some massive flow and you have no automated or in, in, and it's not just, it's not like it's a flow. I mean, these flows that call flows and trigger other things and processes and all this kind of stuff. If you have no automated test for that, then you can't make any changes to it whatsoever with any confidence that you didn't break stuff. If you don't have auto, if you don't have tests, you're just pissing in the wind. Yeah. Well, what about the uh, no test crowd? I mean, that, that, that exists in the developer community as well, where they just, they go with the flow, they build it, they test, they do a functional test, I guess is what you would call it. And if everything shakes out, they move on. If something's broken, they push a new release. Well, are we talking like code here or what are we talking about? Well, I'm Just, talking about code, know. but I'm saying that same meth- that same mentality could apply to, to building something declaratively, right? There's no need to test, just build it. And if it breaks, then fix it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think some things, it just depends on what you're building. I mean, there are, you know, like, for example, um, apps that are just really UI heavy. I mean, they're, they're, I still think, I mean, they're always going to require a significant level of manual testing. But when you talk about just all sorts of um, just business logic um, and, and, also, and not just business logic, but also all the these, um, underlying, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess in infrastructure things have to be done. You know, making HTTP calls and database calls and different kind of stuff. I mean, that's all. You know, again, it's complex. And if you don't have automated tests for it, you know, you can't just run it and look at a UI and see if it's working. I mean, it, it's some of the scenarios are are, um, are are even just setting up the scenario to test it to see if it still works. Is you know, people aren't just aren't going to do it. It's you know, it's, and, and if they did try to, it'd be incredibly error prone. You don't know if you, you know, you you don't really know because it's it's just manual, right? It's human error. I mean, you don't know if you're covering the right cases or not. So it's and it's just weird that you know it used to be important to make sure that your, you know, your business logic was sound and you had tests for it, and so you had some some protection against regressions. And now now that's not important anymore. 
And it, and it, it, it really, it really just piles on the, t- the technical debt aspect of Salesforce is a low code message or no code, whatever it is. Possibly, but is it, is it a matter of luxury? I mean, in the fact that you could build a piece of logic so quickly and modify it so quickly that the cost and expense of writing a test for that scenario just doesn't make sense. Um, I mean, think about buying something cheap and once it breaks, you just toss it because you can get another one really cheap versus buying something that's really expensive that you kind of keep track of baby. You take care of it really well. And it just, it just lasts because you've spent so much money you've invested in it. But now it seems like we're talking about the flip of that, which is we're, we're not investing in very high quality code. We're, we're investing in things that need to move fast because we're saying business changes so fast. We're saying that the business logic changes so fast that, you know, it's, it's not, it's not meant to be stable. It's not meant to stand the test of time. It's meant to be done for this particular point in okay. time so that it can be changed and moved on. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if it's a throwaway problem, then sure. Right. Throwaway code. But if it's not a throwaway problem, if it's a problem that's, you know, core to your business and you're, and you're building this massive infrastructure around it, then if you don't have automated tests, I mean, it, it's going to cost you. And this, this gets really into that theoretical conversation about tests, but I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you far more um, to, to not have tests than to have tests. I don't know. <laughs> I know for me that when I, it, testing is difficult and it takes a lot of time. I can build a trigger that does a roll up really easily and really quickly, maybe in a couple of hours, maybe say three hours. But I could spend another four or five hours just writing a bunch of scenarios to test and validate that, both positive and negative, um, or even just taking like an hour just to set up all the data or all the routines I need to stand up the system to to be able to host all the data that I need in order to test it. Mm-hmm. That that proportionally is a lot of extra time and a lot of extra money and resource power put behind writing this test on something that may or may not be needed. If the thing is not needed, then sure, you're wasting your time. Yeah, but not needed. A, it, not needed was it was a poor choice of words because that definitely gave you that response. But I, I, I mean, you, like I said, I write something that updates something, and it does so in a way that's very efficient. It does it in a, either in a before context or in an after context. I'm able to transition that into. Um, uh, an async process if I have to, or I can make it invocable from a process builder. I can do all these little things with, and I could enable that piece of functionality to, to in a lot of different ways. But essentially mm-hmm. all it's really doing is updating a bunch of fields and opportunity. A process builder or a flow could do the same thing. However, it doesn't, right. it can't do it in the way that I can do it in a way that's, well, I, can't, I shouldn't say shouldn't. Most of the time it's very difficult to get it to do it in a way that's safe. You know, it's really tough in a flow to build a bunch of checks that says, oh, if this field is this or if this field is that, make sure it's this or make sure it's not that before you continue on. It takes a lot of dragging and dropping a lot of different things and putting in tons of clicks of, of criteria into to all these different places just to validate the data. And most people don't do that. From what I've seen, I go into a flow, I don't see any validation. I just see, oh, give me this record. I'm going to loop through it and I'm going to assume everything's okay, which is why I'm used to seeing things fail with null errors and going, okay, let me go check the process builder flow, process builder processes and the flows to make sure that they're checking for nulls because they're not. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what the point of my, of my saying that is. I just think, I don't know if I'm sold that testing is everything. But I also 
I'm not sold on the fact that we should be building these things really fast and moving on like like we're being told to. I don't know how else to say that. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, I, I, I'm definitely in the camp of, um, you know, things get things can get really out of control if you have a code base that really doesn't have any tests or not enough or not good tests. It can get really out of control fast. Um, well, when I mean, you're building you've an seen, entire you've, system you've, on declarative, I mean, <laughs> that's the situation you're going to be in, isn't it? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think so. I mean, that's a problem. And that's why, I mean, I actually advocate if you're going to do, you know, flows and workflow and these things, like still like write Apex tests for them. I don't know why you can't. I don't know that it's realistic. They have different mechanisms. They have different inputs. They have different ways of activating and deactivating. I mean, you can go yeah. into production and deactivate a process or flow pretty easily. <laughs> and if you've attached tests to that, now you've just nerfed your system. Again, there's a there's a reason that Salesforce does you know back when those this decision was made does not do not let you deactivate you know do things like deactivating triggers in production because it really can change all sorts of complex functionality have and have really disastrous ramifications if you haven't tested through your system having a particular trigger deactivated. Uh, these things, like you said earlier, I mean, when you're talking about these complex situations where things piling on, piling on and, you know, nested and recursive triggers and things, I mean, <laughs> you probably don't fully understand what will happen if you, de if you deactivate a certain trigger in a lot of cases. And you need, you, need, you need to be able to deactivate it and then see what happens to your test, run all your tests, see what happens, you know, see what you've broken. Yeah. I mean, th you know, these, that, this is part of the of trigger hell is, is that... Um, it's even for what you know what I would consider you know smart engineers. It, it's hard for them to wrap their head around what the hell is happening. Well, it, it's even harder because you have the additional context of flow and process builder executing in a within the same transaction, but a different context. They're also running before your code can run, depending on what state you're in. And yeah, you don't always have visibility into what they're doing. I mean, I think you have more visibility now than you used to. In, in the stack trace, but it, it's not like you can go in and read it. It's not like you can go in and set up a debugger and step through it to understand, you know, where it's breaking or what, what's causing the issue. It's, it's really this completely different world, which makes troubleshooting a bit difficult. Yeah. But that's anyway, why they pay us the big uh, bucks, right? Um, something like that. <laughs> Unless we get to obsoleted John by the clicks. And the, the squares and boxes and arrows, right? Because to be able to build complex, really complex systems, we don't need data structures. Whoever invented those? That was so dumb. What a waste. Do you think, do you think it creates a, an environment where people won't go to a developer or won't go to an architect to ask their opinion the, with the way they market it? Do you think it'll create a world where they're like, oh, I can do that with a process builder. I can do that. They, well, this, 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 is what, this is what will separate um, high-functioning organizations from you know, low-functioning organizations, is, is there g governance around that exact type of thing? Yeah. You know, just because you have a certain tool, should you do it? Should you, th should you throw it straight down into your foot? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe you should think about it and consider what is the best tool. And organizations that can figure that out and, and have a good process around that and good governance are going to get much more out of their investment instead of just listening to the absolute garbage uh, propaganda. That's true, but the best thing isn't always the most cost-effective thing, and that's that's kind of the balance. 
it's not always easy to say, hey, we built all this stuff in Process Builder. We've gotten to a point where we can't do this anymore. Let's rip it all out and spend $20,000 on a developer. It's, it's a tough decision to have to make. Oh, I guess. I mean, $20,000 could be very, very, very cheap compared to the alternative, you know. That's true. If you can't just, run your business. I was just tossing a yeah. number out there, but I'm just yeah. saying. It, in theory, the process builder was free because your admin did it. And in, it, it conversely, you know. Oh, ad, admins are free? Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> I didn't know admins were free. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I, I'm not I, trying to say. I, dude, I know. You're I'm, putting words I'm listening to what you're saying, John. No, you're not. <laughs> you're making me look bad. <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm just. I'm, I'm. I'm. I was pointing out that that was that. I was guess in a, my scenario, I was a fallacy a, that you just I was said. thinking of a company that doesn't have a dedicated developer on the sale on Salesforce. So, but they do have a dedicated admin. The admin does everything they can do with the tools that they have. Well, so you've you've rigged you've rigged the scenario to get a certain answer. I mean, no, okay. I'm just I'm telling you my. Thought so you process. don't have a developer also. So it's not even an option. Um, you do have an admin. No, you do have a developer well, I've, I've, dedicated to it. The scenario I'm trying to paint is that you have developers, you have architects, you you ha- you're you have a you're an enterprise company, you have access to these types of people, but you have someone who's dedicated to Salesforce, who's 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 responsible for all the kind of point and click stuff, who you would expect them to go and talk to an architect or developer when they're building stuff, but because it's mm-hmm. so easy to point and click and 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 implement stuff, my scenario is that maybe they're not going to because they think that the tool can do it, but they're not, they're not taking everything into context. And maybe I'm not giving admins enough credit and I apologize for that, but I'm just, I'm just worried about the type of divide. It doesn't feel like we're creating a system where we're encouraging everyone to collaborate, including developers. It feels like we're pushing developers and architects off to the side and saying, admins, you go do it. You don't need those icky guys. They stink anyways. Send them back to their mom's basements. You do it. Wait, you're telling me that in this low code event, they didn't say, hey, you know, the world's complex, problems are complex. You should really think about the tool you use and, and talk to people of, ver- you know, of various capabilities you have access to to see what the right way to approach a problem is. They didn't, they didn't say that, John? No, they talked about a lab that, that oh. used Salesforce to solve their problems. They talked about two different banks that used Salesforce to solve their problems. Um, they, they also, and this was the other thing I wanted to get your reaction to, and I'm not sure if you heard this. It was hidden behind, oh, well, can I? I'm going to go off on a tangent here. Please, I'm begging you, community. Do not let Flownatics be a thing. Just please. Just, oh, the, the, you mean the, the word? The word. That's, oh, it, it's, it's a thing. I'm sorry, Don, but it is a thing. No, I don't want it to be a thing. That's so yeah. gross. Anyways. That, that's been around for years, I think. Well, they were also encouraging because uh, the idea of open sourcing and having a community built around being able to create templates of flows and make those available. And I, I, I don't know how I feel about that. Cause I do, I do like the idea of open source. I do like the idea of, of people contributing and being part of a community and contributing, but to have a company tout that as, as a way to do something faster is to just go pull someone else's code and bring it into your system. That feels kind of icky. It doesn't feel like, Hey, community, there's a rich community of people who are willing to help and there's mechanisms for them to help you and, and, and do that. It felt more like, yeah, not only, not only is it cheap and easy to do flow, you can also just pull someone else's code and bring it in and get it done. Yeah. I was actually looking for a tweet that I saw. It's impossible to search for anything around testing, though, nowadays, because it's oh, <laughs> all yeah. about uh, the corona. <laughs> Yeah, just search for testing. <laughs> I choose not to. Uh, yeah. 
Um, all right. Well, let me see what else I have on our list. Are we are we done with the the low code? I feel like we beat that one to absolute yeah, I feel smithereens. Like talking anymore, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Did you know? Did you hear we have um, a new uh, president of Salesforce? Yeah, um, president and chief revenue officer. Of course, I t- of course, I had, that's I had to Salesforce. Look up that latest. damn word. What the hell's a chief revenue officer? And it sounds like something a CEO should be doing, but they they changed the title, I guess, so that Benioff could maintain c- CEO. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I think a chief revenue officer is a chief um, st- stiff arming, uh, you know, pressure pressure guy that gets just deals close. We got to get the revenue up, you know, because it's our it's our dream, John. Fastest. But isn't to, that doesn't that sound like something the CEO does? It's like they got yeah. rid of the co-CEO role and they just changed what would be a co-CEO role into something, a different title. I mean, clearly Benioff does not want to perform the, the entire function of CEO, at least not by himself. He either wants a partner to do it or he wants to split that role out into other things. I mean, there are other companies that have chief revenue officers. It's not an unheard of thing. Well, I, yeah, no, I looked it up and found it because I'd never heard of it before. But still, it, 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 the, when you read the job description of it and the role of it, um, in fact, one of the places that gave a definition for it was quotable, which apparently is a Salesforce thing. Quotable? Okay. Yeah. Let's see. A CRO is accountable for driving better integration and alignment between all revenue-related functions, including marketing, sales, customer support, pricing, and revenue management. Customer support. Well, maybe this guy will help us get um, some kind of GAC viewer. Only if you can uh, tie it to revenue. <laughs> They'll sell it. You get $5 per view of a GAC. <laughs> They'll be rich. I say rich. Yeah, they probably would be rich, actually. <laughs> if you get $5 per GAC, oh my gosh, can you imagine? And, and it, would, it would kind of be one of those things that's worth it. Like as a developer, like, you know what? My time's worth X, $5 to read this GAC. Here you go. And they collect enough of that, you know. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't... New president, I guess. Do we have other presidents? Because a lot of companies have multiple presidents. Is he a president or is he CEO? He's actually, he was like, actually named CEO of the international division or if C- CEO international or something like that. But I guess he's being brought in to be just Salesforce president and CR- CRO. Yeah, CRO. Okay. And that happens in oh. August is when it becomes official. So what, well, what's the guy's name? Uh, I had it until we talked about it and then I closed the... Okay. Hold on. Oh. We'll have to keep our eye on him. See what he's Gavin up to. Patterson. Gavin. Yeah. Gavin. Gavin. Well, uh, John Twitter has told their employees, you can just work from at home forever. No need to ever come into the office again. It's awesome. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's one of the silver linings of the, of the Corona thing here is that I think, I think a lot of this is not going to go back to normal. Some things in a bad way, some things in a good way. This is kind of, I think, a, a good thing. I, I don't know. I've always been kind of a proponent of work from home, remote working, whatever you want to call it. And just some companies are just, they're just so old fashioned or so untrusting of their people that they, they can't handle it. Right. But they're kind of being forced into it. And I think a lot of companies are finding that it kind of works. And, you know, their chief revenue officers <laughs> are probably looking at it and saying, you know, people, people might be more productive and this might, uh, we might be able to close some offices and not have to pay so much know real estate fees and yeah i was gonna say it's gonna affect the real estate market quite a bit and we work well a lot yeah a lot of this is a lot of issues Mm -hmm. 
Although, you know, maybe not. Maybe with with people having the option to work remote, work from home or work someplace closer to them, maybe it could be just like a, you know, like a company will give you like a per diem for your equipment because they're not buying your equipment, but they'll give you money to buy your own equipment. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll do the same for, you know, your office space. Like you get X amount and you can spend it on equipment or you can spend it at office space, whatever you want. And you end up just going to these co-working spaces if you can't work from home. So that's, that's kind of what we have, although it's not our, meaning our company, um, but it's, it's not enough to, we, we would need more, you know, like we have, what is it? It's a, you know, it's a kind of like a, I guess we call it a technology stipend. You can kind of use it for whatever you want, but it definitely would not cover your technology needs plus like office space needs. But I can see that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm just giving the idea that it might be something that some companies might go to if they're not having to spend money on an office. I'm not sure if that shakes out to being more money that's co- that it would cost them more to do that than just having an office. But at least well, for the near if, term, if, a lot of these companies are in high rises, and we've already heard that some of these comp- some of these places, especially like Salesforce, are going to have to schedule elevator time. Uh, yeah, although I mean, there, maybe there's not as much contention. It's just a lot of people just aren't coming in. You know, that's you. It's, it's just like traffic is just not bad anymore. It's, traffic's been great, actually. <laughs> I wish traffic was always like this. I wish a lot of people would stay home so that I don't have to sit in traffic and if I don't you have to know that it, that there's not much traffic. Does that mean you've been going out? Oh, you've been caught. I've been going Busted. out. In fact, um, Busted. in fact, I'm I'm gonna try to start going to the office. In fact, I'm I'm hoping like next week or whenever we record again that it's it's from the, the studio again. This just sucks. <laughs> so work from home, people except me. I'm going to an office. <laughs> oh, I'm not telling people to work from home. I, I, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying if you want to. I think it's great if you have the option and you, you know, you want to go in, great. If you want to work from home, great. Um, I just think it's good. Um, but, you know, there's been lots of news just along these, these lines um, about what's going to happen as not only is um, people are working from home more, but if, you know, if you don't have to have, if you, you know, if you don't have a policy where people have to come to the office, then that means that you don't necessarily have to pay, hire people that are, you know, just live in the Bay area or in Seattle or these, you know, various, you know, New York city or these expensive places. And what's that going to do as these employees realize, well, heck, if I don't have to come to the office, then I move into Montana, I move into South Dakota, I move into you know, Dallas are just less expensive places to live. Um, that That's really going to have more, you know, you're going to see this drain effect on these expensive cities. Um, yeah, in I fact, uh, let's see. Tech, I think tech, people live was, in the city. Here, here, was, here, okay. here was a title, uh, like a headline, tech workers consider escaping Silicon Valley's high rents. Um, and then there's this other thing about how, here's an article I was looking at, thousands say chow to deeply troubled San Francisco. And it just talks about how, I mean, even, even before COVID, right? I mean, San Francisco is, you know, ranks first in the nation in theft, po- uh, you know, burglary, vandalism, shoplifting, and other, you know, all kinds of other crimes. I mean, 60 cars a day get broken into, and you got, you know, all kinds of diseases and crappy sanitation. They've got, you know, typhoid, typhus, hepatitis uh, that are just, you know, through the roof and, you know, cheap, you know, you get fentanyl anywhere up and down Market Street. You know, four and a half million needles the city gives out. Uh, cigarette busts, you know, everywhere. Uh, poop patrol, right? And, you know, this, these cities, I mean, San Francisco is one we're well familiar with. And they've got these just massive problems. I mean, housing problems on top of that. You can't build anything in San Francisco. And, they, you know, and then utility problems, all the rolling blackouts they've had because they've got, you know, PG&E just hasn't fixed any of their crap. 
and which you know resulted in all these uh massive like that remember that what they call a campfire i think um a couple years ago in california you know it was like a couple hundred thousand acres that destroyed you know 100 people killed I mean, people are just moving out of this. I mean, these, these cities already have so many problems. The, the one thing that kept them there, John, anymore at this point, which is so sad because San Francisco used to be such a great city. But the one thing that kept them there was their, was their high-paying job. That's the only reason they live there. And it's just that reason is going away. And that's, that's, it's going to be really interesting to see what the effect that has on these cities. And, and you know, just on the... You know, on the real estate, uh, what happens to, you know, people that have recently, you know, bought a building um, and they've got, you know, it's, it's, it's finance, right? And, but now they can't get near as much for rent as they, as they could and rent, rent prices are going to be dropping. So I don't know, it's, 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 you know, it's an ecosystem that everything's, everything's kind of tied together and it's going to affect everything. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I, I, I can definitely see anybody who's, who's a family or has a family wanting to move out given that they don't have to show up to an office every day. I think for some being in the city was a way for them to see their family more often because they wouldn't have that such a long commute. Uh, but I still think younger people will want to be in that kind of city environment. They're there for different reasons. They're there for the nightlife. They're there for, you know, socializing reasons and all those kind of things. So I think there'll still be some demand in the city. And I just think we might just see less families in there as they, as, yeah. as their, their options expand to be able to move somewhere else and work from home. Yeah, that could be. And if, you know, and if this, yeah, I mean, this is definitely reducing demand for, for, to, for living in these cities, which means that prices will drop, but that, but that will bring in, right. If prices go down then that's going to, you know, just supply and demand that, right. That will bring actually de- new demand in. You're going to, some demand is going to leave, but other, you know, that could be replaced by, other types of demand from other types of, you know, people. Well, you talk about lowering rent. I mean, that could be, that could be a big boom for, for a city like San Francisco where rent has made it, well, it has probably, the, the cost of living has probably produced more homeless. And, and maybe with the cost of living coming down with more people moving out or assuming that they move out, that maybe it'll, it'll make it easier for people to, to get back into a home. Yeah, that's true. I mean, think about this though. Let's say that you um, you had recently purchased a four unit apartment building just as an investment property, and because you know you can you know for each unit you can get thirty five hundred dollars a month, and therefore you know you paid a certain amount of money for that property. It was worth something. But now you own it. You got a mortgage on it, and now you can only get twenty five hundred dollars a month rent from each unit, which probably puts you in the red. Yeah, but that's yeah, real it's estate. problems. I mean, real estate isn't isn't a sure thing as much as all these people on late night TV like to tell you. No, it's definitely not a sure thing, but I mean, you're going to have mass, you know, real estate failures basically. And then that trickles up to who invested in, you know, uh, depositors and banks and things that that loaned the the money for these notes. I mean, it's, it's all, like I said, that's my point. It's all connected. Um, And it is, but real estate's interesting in that I think there's enough 1% one percenters out there that would buy that up. Like if, if there was going to be a loss on it, you might just sell it at a loss and be done with it. But there's going to be enough of one percenters that just, they can afford to buy a bunch of land and sit on it until the value goes back up. Oh, abs- absolutely. There, there's still a price for all these things, right? Yeah. If, if I have to, if I, you know, if I'm that person that, that, you know, invested in that little apartment building and I have to, and I, I go bankrupt. Um, Absolutely. Someone else is going to come in and buy that. Um, so it's not like it's a total loss for the bank. It's just, it, it is going to be a loss because they're not going to be able to sell it for what they sold it to me for. Um, so it'll, it'll be a loss, but I mean, yeah, it, it, there's still, a, there's still a market for all these things. It's just a totally changed market, you know? So. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's, I mean, there's just so many stories like this that are out right now. It'll be interesting to f- keep following this and s- see what actually happens in the long term. Because right now, there's just a lot of speculation about it. But um, let's see. Did you see um, you John, some I wanted video to stuff? Because bu- I have some community stuff too to get through. Um, I had I had one clip. It's not really great. It just was so weird. I was like, wow, this is so incredibly weird. I might have to play this. It's uh, not the Kramer and Benioff interview, is it? No, no. This I, is, I watched um, that. That was that was bad. I, mean, I normally like the chemistry between Kramer and Benioff, but this was just he just kind of cued him up to talk about work, and then they started trying to talk about solutions for for things, and I'm just like, oh, this is not good. It was one yeah, of the few um, that I just didn't enjoy. I couldn't even clip it. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> Okay, so this is what I thought was interesting. So the title of this is, you know, Salesforce, uh, it's an Axios, which is, I guess, they're a, a big thing now. Uh, Salesforce CEO hopes America's return to offices is only weeks away. And the kind of the highlights of this article are, are um, you know, going back to work and why it matters and what Benioff expects once everyone's back in the office and... Um, if he regrets, you know, whatever strategy this was and all kinds of stuff. And it's, and it's an interesting, interesting article. Okay. But here's the video they chose to go along with it. You ready? You know, the other thing that I think that we're going to take forward with us is when I look at this virus, it doesn't discriminate by race or sexual orientation or uh, the color of our skin or religion, you know, it goes. Okay, great. So we have a non-racist virus, right? Okay. All right. Interesting. It's after everybody. And it's in some ways, it's the great unifier. It brings us all together. It's all of us are competing against this virus. So I hope that we also take away that we have more unity. I'll tell you and one more thing that is very powerful for me is that every morning. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to push back a little on, you know, we've heard that and I've heard that, you know, the disease, it's true. The disease itself doesn't discriminate. But I've also heard a lot from underserved and underrepresented communities that they're actually being hit a lot harder because the systems don't treat them the same. And so we're seeing much higher death rates among African-Americans and Latinos. We're seeing domestic violence increase. So we're seeing a lot of the inequalities that do exist in our society sharpen because of that. Do you have hope that we will address that or are we accepting that? It feels like in a lot of the calls to go back to work, we're just accepting that it's our less economically advantaged, disproportionately people of color who are on the front lines, who are getting hit harder by the virus, who are being forced to work in less safe conditions. So I I guess I'm curious, how much do you think it's been a great equalizer versus bringing up the fundamental inequalities that do still exist? Well, you are amplifying and you reacted to something that's extremely important, which was we have terrible inequalities in our system. And you may know Salesforce, in fact, yesterday ran a program just on this, bringing together the top leaders really in our country on why these racial disparities are appearing, especially during a major health crisis and so pronounced. We had eight and a half million viewers on this video stream with us, an incredible amount. And, you know, this is something that needs, you know, a deep look. This has gone on for too, too long, the institutional racism that then gets surfaced, you know, at a moment like this, when will we look to have a greater focus to make sure that we have a higher levels of equality in the world and higher levels of healthcare for all. So, so that was it. Um, I, mean, I, th- I think 
I think he responded to it to it really well. I think you know he he definitely would make a great politician because he took that and answered it really well. Even even having to pivot from what he earlier said. To, well, he to had yeah he he had but right, there, he had to back, there, he had to backpedal everything he said. Well, right? no, he didn't have he, to backpedal. There's a distinction there. He he was saying that the virus wasn't racist or. or but no, of course that. it is. Of course but, it is. But what he picked up on was the I don't know who the interviewer was, but what he picked up on what was was him saying how the system is still in, a, in unequal, and that's what Benioff responded to, and that's that's kind of the. That's where I think he crafted his message really well is that he responded to that to that one part of it of the system. He would, yeah. didn't have to backtrack on saying that the virus itself wasn't equalizing. All he had to do was acknowledge that yes, the system is still unequal. Yeah. So this this is obviously. I mean, Benioff has this that material so well rehearsed, and it's second nature for him. Right? He could he can do that in his sleep. What the, just what was weird to me about it is when again when you look at the article, it actually has interesting stuff, and then. The video is just oh, and they picked this part. Uh, yeah, I, is, that, is that what it was? I don't know. About yeah, all this interesting stuff, and they picked this part because it because that would get eyeballs. Anytime you talk about inequality or the ineffectiveness of the system and and all and anything racial, first that gets eyeballs, and that's that's exactly why they did it. Yeah, it's just and it's also weird. It's like you know, there's there's actually really interesting things about about this virus and what it's doing to society and 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 all these interesting issues that we're dealing with now but it, and it's it's just weird that that's where their conversation went it's like we we can talk about we've been talking about that for a long time and we will continue talking about that but that's that's not what's unique about this time we're in right now I, it was so weird but maybe it, um yeah you know, maybe it, they maybe they have other clips that they took from this interview that they have posted in other places i i, I actually didn't think about that but you're probably right they probably just i don't know who whoever you know whatever uh person you know was in charge for publish you know actually getting this on the on the website they probably just like oh, i gotta you know they were t- they told they, me to they, they pick they a two, mi- two minute segment he just he just grabbed a random two minute segment from it and put it on oh the, no they went the for website. the sizzle reel they're like oh we need something that's gonna get some eyeballs no, he's, he's talking about <laughs> but really that was this virus that was like by far the most boring part i mean of the whole interview because again benioff can do that in his sleep and he does it all the time it's like that's not what this that's not what this interview was about that's so weird that i don't know it's just weird but I see that, you know, I see that also, you'll see it on like CNBC and these different websites, you know, there'll be some, you know, pr- pretty long article and, and there was a long interview, you got this with it, but they'll, they'll cut, they'll, they'll just show you like a two minute clip of some inane part of it. And I'm not saying this was inane, but I mean, you just see that arbitrary cl- clipping of, of uh, like a, an interview to go along with the, the text article. I don't know. I don't just... Yeah. I've seen that too, where, it, and sometimes it doesn't even cover what the article is about. Like the article will be about something specific that happened within a speech or an event, but they'll yes, play a clip exactly. of something that happened either outside of it right before it, or even in the middle of it that had nothing to do with the, the main point of the article was. And you know, you absolutely know it has nothing to do with other than clicks and, and ads impressions. It's, it's, right. it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's some kind of engineering for that. It's not engineering for actually humans. It's engineering for Yo, clicks. Yeah, exactly. In some That's weird what way. I think too. Cause I think, you know, you get your Facebook crawl on it and it picks up that video and it, it promotes it more. It's all SEO optimization, right? Yeah. Or FEO optimization. Um, what, no, not FEO. FEO? Uh, face FB optimization. Facebook, Facebook. optimization. Yeah. Or Insta um, or TikTok. Well, <laughs> well, so before we get to whatever the community stuff you have, I wanted to just, you know, so, you know, you know, I got this, the, finally, finally got the MacBook Pro 16 because this mild computer just, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of fine. I mean, 
The biggest problem with it probably is this, again, this F key that doesn't work very well. But I realized that the, I'm coming up on when uh, the, like the, the end of the eligibility window for my old computer to get its keyboard fixed for free. And I definitely want to get that done because I feel like there's a lot of life in this computer, hopefully. I mean, the speakers don't work mm-hmm. and the battery started bulging. But if those don't continue to get worse, then, then this is actually still a fast, good computer that at least my kids can use or I can keep as a backup, you know, or something. That battery so I, I want to be able to get that, me, get that fixed. It, me too. Oh, I don't know how to get it fixed. I guess some new battery. I mean, I also don't want to put like a thousand dollars into this computer, <laughs> but if I can get the keyboard fixed for free and if the battery only costs me a couple hundred bucks and that's a really good deal. And this, this computer is still really valuable to me. So I wanted to, I'm like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and I've been waiting on the Mac Pro, uh, MacBook Pro 16 that, you know, kind of the new one that came out last fall. Uh, first of all, I don't like buying when they come out with a new generation of a product, I don't like buying right away. So I've definitely waited long enough, you know, for them to work any like initial say that, but what manufacturing. did we do last time and got really disappointed well, by that stupid touch bar? No, I know. Well, and also, I mean, the keyboard was the worst. I mean, the touch bar is fine. I've learned to ignore it. That's the keyboard. That's the big, the big problem. But I, you know, I, and I don't know. And, and the other thing is like, you know, 10th generation Intel CPUs are out now, whereas these MacBook Pro 16s are still on ninth generation. And, and I've thought, well, gosh, I mean, if I buy this MacBook Pro 16 now, surely in like another two months, they're going to announce, you know, they're going to rev them. They're going to have the 10th generation CPUs. I'm going to hold out for But if I miss, but if I miss, well, that's the other thing. But if I miss out on getting the keyboard fixed on this, that's, how much does it cost to get the keyboard replaced on this if you have to pay for it? I think it's, I think it's like 500 bucks or more. Okay. I think it's pretty Kidding. expensive. So no, I think it's expensive. So I've just thought, well, I don't think I'll actually notice the difference between a ninth and 10th generation CPU. I mean, CPU speed is... Like I never pay for the CPU speed increases. I will pay for more RAM and more hard drive, but I, you know, paying for CPU just never made a lot of sense to me. So unless the 10th generation Intel CPUs have some magic new or some really important new feature, like I can't even think of something right now, but I don't think they do. So I, I just decided to bite the bullet and got it. Now my question is, you know, so I've also, you know, I've, I haven't upgraded to Catalina yet because I've got like, and I'm mainly concerned about these VPN clients that I have to continue using that, mm-hmm. They, they warned me. I get warnings when I launch them. I think it's macOS that warned me, actually. It says, you know, this is, this is not going to work long term. So you need to replace, you need to upgrade and replace this software. So the new computer comes with Catalina. Now, I could, probably could restore a backup onto it. I, I'm, I don't know if it would still run. What's the other one that I'm running called? Mojave? It probably would run Mojave. I don't know. I've, so I could, I could, I could backup, because uh, I do anyway. Like I, have a, I use SuperDuper, you know, bootable backup of, of this computer. Probably restore it on the new one, and that might work. But... It's been a long time since I just, since I just you know built up from a vanilla install, and I feel like you know I just have this sense I've got all this cruft. I mean, from I think of all the crap that's been installed and kernel extensions, and maybe every once in a while you should just start over, and that's kind of what I want to do. That's what I, but I, I love doing that. That's I know you do. Like the satisfaction. <laughs> well, because you're a Windows guy, and Windows device. people have to do that. <laughs> oh yeah, back in the back in Windows, I would reinstall my OS at minimum twice a year. At best, like three or four times. <laughs> That's insane. And I loved, oh I loved it every time. I, I, I would spend a weekend just doing it, and it took a weekend. <laughs> but I, I have, I know I have somewhere some old Evernote, I think, where I made a list of like all the things I thought I would have to do to a new. Fill, oh, I have computer. that list. I have a okay, list well, for so, myself. The, okay, so yeah. I couldn't find my. I have actually didn't really look that much, but I started a new list of just all the things I'm gonna have to do. So first of all, just obvious things. Like I'm gonna have to like copy my documents directory. No, no big deal. Um, that's easy. I'm going to have to install any manually install any application I want. Right. That's right. one thing. And, and I don't know. And then you're like, okay, do I, God, do I still have license keys for things? Um, 
you yeah. know, who knows? And it, but, the, but again, the nice thing about that is like, I'm not going to sell the things I don't use anymore or I don't need. But then there's things like, what about things you can't get anymore? Like I still have an old Salesforce data loader, like the ones that still worked, that still had an installer that worked and ran fairly easily. Like I still have that, you know, well, I'll be able to get the old one. I think I actually downloaded that. Like we we have that in somewhere in safekeeping. Because the new one no, like you do like, Yeah. Well, oh, the, the old ones do too. The old one, I mean, the one I have lets you do OAuth, but it still has a DMG installer. Oh. Yep. You know, just you just drag it or whatever into the applications. Um, I mean, the new ones, it's, I mean, I can't even get it to install right. And I understand JVMs and where the JVM locations are on this. And it's, you know, this command line. because you got so much crap thing. on your computer. You do need to do a fresh install. No, no, John, no one at our company can install the new data loader. No one's, no one's able to. So that's why I'm just like, here, just use this one. I keep, I keep an old installer of the, of like a, I think it's from like version 34 or something. I don't know. Um, but who knows about all the, all the crap that I've got. I've got, you know, and, and so many different virtual machines and I don't know necessarily even where those files are, but like my virtual box machines and my, uh, all the Docker stuff. Um, and when I've got, you know, I've got it set up to share file systems in different places between Docker and my, you know, and the native file system. Um, I've got at least three different database servers, Microsoft SQL, MySQL and Postgres. And they're the actual database locations also are, I'm going to have to track those down and can you copy those? And then when I install Postgres on my new computer, is it just going to read those? Is that even a thing or do I have to do dumps of the databases? And I, you know, they're just like, there's all these things, all the homebrew stuff, so much homebrew stuff. And I've customized all this. You know, there's a lots of times when you install something home, but then you got to customize it. I'm have to redo all that. Um, what else? Where's my list? Like I said, mentioned Docker. Um, oh, like Bash. Like, do I lose my Bash? I mean, it's a little thing, but like Bash it. Or I don't run Bash. Like I mainly run Z, Z shell, ZSH, whatever it's called. Yeah. But like, you know, where does all that and all my dot files? I mean, uh, I don't even know if you're into that. Are you into the dot file thing, John? Customize really. on your dot files? Yeah. I mean, um, I did the Z shell one, but that was just to get all my aliases and everything in. But, you know, and SSH keys, and I guess that's easy. You just copy your SSH directory. You should, they should be all in there. But um, I don't know. And just setting, it's just, I think it's going to be a mess. And I think, I'm, I'm afraid it's just, I should just restore a backup onto the new computer when can, I really think can about you do, all the stuff. Can you split the difference? Can you get a, get a VM and run, run your old system on VM? Oh, I definitely don't. That's such a mess. Hell no. No, no, no. No, it's, it's a way to wean yourself off. It's the way to, to say, okay, I'm starting new. But if, if if the S hits the fan, I can at least load up my VM and log back into this other machine. And and then figure out a way so to I'll, get it. I'll still have the old machine and I can still keep that around for a while. And I'll still also, I'll keep a, I'll do like a final backup of it and just keep, just, and basically, you know, lock that hard drive up so that I've, so that I've always got that final backup of that computer. Well, now you just need a KVM and you're all set. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. Uh, I, I'm looking for input, I think, from the community here on what I should do. Uh, start from scratch. I, I That's got, my opinion, but... You know. It's funny because I, I got this computer a few days ago. It came in on my birthday. Um, and That's right. It was your birthday. <laughs> it was, I know. <laughs> uh, but I, I just haven't touched it because I'm just, I, I know it's going to be so much work. I'm like very much not looking forward to it. Oh, that so, shouldn't be the case. You should I be know. all excited. I know. It, it is. I know. It's, it's should, really should, a downer. You should have it next to you in the bed. Um, just stroke it at night. <laughs> it, you know it's, it's crazy story. it's crazy how similar it is to the previous generation the ones that we have really i mean yeah if you don't turn the screen on you probably can't tell a difference well I take that back there's a there you oh nothing i love about this i you know you're back to a physical escape key mm. that's when you look at it that's probably the most obvious thing is when you look at the touch bar 
it stops short of where the escape key is, and there's an actual escape key there. Right. Well, I, I use a mechanical keyboard, so I don't miss it, because I have it. When, when you're not just working on your laptop, you mean? Well, my Like, laptop. you have an external keyboard? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I but when, like, use when my laptop the- on its own, except for the rare occasion where I'm not at my desk. Okay, well, yeah, that's, that's, I'm the same way. I don't know. I'll take it to the couch fairly regularly. I don't. I've been trying not to, but that means I spend more time in my office than I want to. And I don't know. Yep. Yep. Anyway. All right. Well, y'all let me know if you have any uh, suggestions for me. All right. So let's do this community stuff and let's, then we'll do a wrap up. Okay. Uh, this one actually should be pretty easy. <laughs> We've talked about this a lot, but uh, this one comes from Ray Deller. Said we could use his name. Appreciate that. Uh, The TLDR on this is recommend some books, please. But he says, uh, you both mentioned books on software engineering a few times in passing. It seems uh, seems to me that you limit your success and experience without being well-read. Do you agree? I feel as though I have a bit of hands-on experience, but occasionally I come across client counterparts who recommend patterns or paradigms, and they write me off as inexperienced when I don't know some of them. I struggle with technical books. It's not the way I like to learn. I tend to research as needed, just in time learning, but it leads it leads to the problem I just mentioned. Can you recommend any books to aid in designing and implementing software specifically on Salesforce or more generally if they also helped in the Salesforce world? But also like to hear what you got out of them and how it's helped building software from your experience. I think that context is important. I mean, I I kind of feel I guess what would you call it? Imposter syndrome. I feel that a lot. And for my whole career in VB, I felt like I was an imposter developer. I felt well, that, like no that one... was, that was, that was valid imposter syndrome see? if you're a you VB see? developer. <laughs> see? I know. I'm a bigot. I'm a bigot. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that way. But I, I, and it forced me, it put me in a position where I was always reading. I was always buying books. I mean, I was spending hundreds of dollars of books, just reading everything I can get my hands on. Even if I didn't understand it, I was reading it. Do you remember that? Do you remember you could buy those? Was it like the whole Microsoft library? Yes. Like this massive, it was a shelf full I had that, of the whole Win32 library? <laughs> no, Jeez. no, not just Win32. You could buy like, there was some big MSDN pack. Oh, and yeah. it was, you know, it came with like, I don't know, there's, and there was different, like, not, I mean, they're not volumes, they were sets. You'd like, there were like three or four sets, and each one had like 12 to 20, like 400 to 1,000 page books. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you had that MSD, uh, MSDN subscription, I think it was, that would give you like yeah. access to like the software, but it would also give right. you access to the library. And those things were yeah. like five grand or something, subscription, yeah. mm-hmm. annual subscription or something. Yep. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, so in terms of books, I, I, I obviously I found the ones useful for the, what I was doing in that point, like, you know, books on how to be a better VB programmer when I got into C Sharp, how to be a good C Sharp programmer. I did try Java. I didn't get into it and didn't like it. Um, but I found those books to be helpful. But then I, I, then I found books that were just about programming in general. And I think those helped me out the most because I felt like I was trying to solve problems and these things were helping me solve problems. So those are the books I found useful. So like the design pattern books, the clean code books. Um, I was getting into some of the, like the uh, human, uh, what was it? Human interface book. Um which I don't agree with anymore, but at the time it was kind of my thing for a while. Um, I don't know what else. John, I have, I have a bit of bad news for you. What? I, 
I mean, I, I may be needing to to dig deep into that toolbox of yours and, and pull that Java out at some point <laughs> and brush it off, sharpen it, sharpen it up a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, it was visual Java. It was visual J plus plus. I don't know what it's called. Visual J or something like that. I hate oh, that, it. That was, yeah, that was, oh, that was a turd, but yeah. That's what I That's probably why you hated Java. That's what I tried uh, to learn with. <laughs> I mean, it says visual in front of it. it. Must be draggy droppy, right? It was draggy droppy, and I hated it. Oh, was I, it really? I oh, even yeah, hate. Yeah. I even hate. Uh, <laughs> I tried to get into uh, Mac programming, Apple programming, and I hated it because the interfaces you had to do the draggy droppy to connect everything. Well, I mean, there's like interface builder and those things, but they're, they're writing. They're just writing code for you, and they and they they do break down after a certain point. You know, that's just. <laughs> And unless you're one again, unless you're you bind to the propaganda, you, you and you believe that everything has to be done by draggy droppy, but but uh, in the real world, no, um, the things are more complicated than that. Yeah, I mean, I really preferred the kind of Microsoft paradigm where you you had components, you had interfaces, and you would wire them up by telling it what methods on on your class to call or what class to call, and everything else was coded, and even just custom building components and drawing them from scratch. I mean, I, I like that too. Um, didn't like all the drawing stuff that that kind of got annoying. It's kind of like flows. Well, yeah. Well, so I'm trying to think of what, what advice I have for Ray. I couldn't, I couldn't tell it exactly where I needed something or do something. It, I had to draw it, and I just sometimes that was just not fun. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah. Sorry, am I over-talking okay. you? Yeah, I, I, think it just, I think when you're talking, it just cuts off my sound so you can't hear me. Um, but anyway, I, would, I guess I was trying to say that I've been thinking about, um, trying to think here, what advice I have for Ray. Because I mean, the thing is, is you know, if you're, I mean, if let's say the context, you know, he says, you know, he's a Salesforce developer. He's trying to be a better Salesforce developer. What do you need to do? Um, you know, I, I probably at this point, I know I wouldn't suggest like going and doing like a full, you know, computer science curriculum type of thing. It's probably you, you can, just based on what you said about how you learn and, uh, you know, I guess what you're interested in. I, I don't think that would be productive for you. Um, but I do think, you know, even even just the most basic level of of data structures and algorithms. So knowing like when you look up something in a map, um, or knowing how hashing and hashing buckets work for maps and things like that, and just understanding the basics of the big like the you know the big O notation of the data structures you're using, you know where whether you know finding something in a linked list versus finding something in a hash or a map of some a hash map of some sort, you know, in a you know and if you've got you know lots of elements versus just a few elements and just the cost of those things. I mean, it can just, it can help to really, it can really help to just understand the basics of that. And if you don't understand just the basics of those kind of things, then I, I just, I don't know. I do think it's going to put you in a category where people just think, ah, yeah, you're not, you're not really a developer. Um, that being said, I mean, I, should you go back, should you go read, you know, one of the classic data structures and algorithms books? Probably not, man. I just, you know, I don't think you're going to be, I don't think it's, I don't think it does you any good to, to write your own sorting algorithms and, and, you know, go through the, all the quick sort and bubble sort and learning all those. It's just, that, that's probably not what you want, but you know, if you can find some just like blog post about just the super basics of um, how to use maybe, you know, Apex or Java data structure, something like that. And just, and again, the, when I, and when I say big, for people who don't know what big O notation is, it's just, I don't even know what the actual proper name for that is or where that came from, but it's, it's how you describe the the cost of of a of a certain function call or an algorithm or something. And so you'll see something like O of one versus O of n, and like O of one means it's it's called constant time. So it's like no matter how many things you have, it's there's you have a constant time cost to perform some operation, which is great. And that's the best that's the best thing you want, you know. 
and O of N is is worse. It's, you know, if you have a hundred things in, in there, it's going to take you, you know, a hundred seconds. If you have a million things and it's going to take a million seconds. So that that's not as good. Although that it's not as bad as some, because sometimes, sometimes you have like O of N squared or even which things get, you know, exponentially worse as you, as your data structure gets bigger. So again, that, that, that can be pretty useful to understand those kinds of things. So I try to do the basics on those. Um, you know, maybe a, if, if is there like a head start or head first or whatever they call book on data structures, maybe that'd be worth it. Something that, you know, you could probably read in a few days or just something that's really, really light. Or like I said, you could probably even find some, some kind of articles or blog posts, or someone's got some web pages that are just at, at a really basic level and that kind of stuff. Uh, the next thing that I think is a little more important, I, I think um, just like software design patterns are a little, probably a little more important. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because, and the, the good thing about, design patterns um well some people are really smart and they just they if they had never learned anything about patterns they actually came up come up with a lot of these on their own i'm not that smart actually when i studied patterns i mean i just learned about a lot of things i was doing wrong and that i was that i it was just understanding that these patterns are a thing or that i could structure my software in that way was really made me a better developer um again i'm not that smart so you may already you could be using some of these common patterns without even knowing it. And and actually that's the problem is that you don't know you're doing it and you don't know the vocabulary for these things because other experienced developers are going to expect you to know like what's a, you know, what's a, I mean, just the, you know, what's a singleton? What's yeah. What's a factory? What's a, what's a, I mean, even if just talking about things like what's a, what's a DTO or what's a, what's the selector pattern or, I mean, they're not, they're not, it's, it's just, you're not gonna be able to follow on the conversation. You're not going to be able to understand what people are talking about. And if, and if, if conversations with you are difficult because you don't know these things and every time someone would, you know, it would be a 30 second conversation. It has to turn, it has to turn into a 15 minute discussion because you don't know this, just the terms for these things, then that's going to, that's going to set you back too. And, and it's just, it's just going to make you look and feel like, you know, you're an imposter and you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to feel that way. Um, so I would, you know, I would say just, you know, the, whatever the most popular design patterns are, you know, just, understand those um look at in in the in the salesforce land look at like apex or what are they called ff lib um that's kind of a apex implementation of a lot of these patterns and some that are kind of even specific to um to salesforce in a way um i mean i I would say kind of going back to what he first said about you know that's not the way you learn i don't necessarily think i learn from books either but i read them and i feel like I retain at least a part of it. I don't read them with the intent that I'm going to have it memorized and I'm going to, I'm going to be able to recite it to somebody. But I have on occasion, like even the design pattern books, it was probably a good two years before I actually started using any design patterns after having read it. Um, and I, I just think the vocabulary sticks in your mind. If you just read it once or read it every so often or read parts of it or just kind of look at, have it as a reference material, I think that helps as well. Um, I think you'll be surprised how much you at least retain some of the terminology just by at least reading it once, once or twice, even if you're not going to put it into practice. Right. Yep. I agree. And it is, it is one of those things, you know, you'll do a once over and you, you will at least expose yourself to some of the common terminology and concepts, but you may not fully get them yet. And that's when you, you know, whenever you need to, or maybe just later, you like, you decided to read something else on it. You, you know, you kind of go a little bit deeper and that's just the way most people learn, I think is by, um, well, there's, there's actually a ton of science around learning and how that works, but, you know, like graduated interval recall and some of these concepts um, that as we understand, you know, how cognition works and how, how we learn things. I mean, it, most, most people are going to learn in a way that 
takes um you know multiple you have to you have to kind of do it at a later approach you know to go you know try to understand the first layer and then a little bit later you know go a little bit deeper um, and also you know go towards things that interest you or things that apply to what you're working on i mean you know Ray's he's coming from a really applied perspective like he's he's a working developer right or mm-hmm. you know i'm not sure how he styles himself but you know he's, he's doing this for for work i mean this is not theoretical he's this is not a you know he's not in a computer science program um this is applied stuff so you're going to want you're really going to want to focus on things that really apply to you know your daily work um and i think what else john what else besides patterns i mean to me patterns is is a big one i i really but like also the, just the Uncle Bob stuff, the refactoring book, the clean code book, the clean architecture book. Those, those are some of my favorites. Yeah. And what was that? Uh, um, shoot. Um, the McDonald book. Is it McDonald? No. Who wrote the, um, it's a Microsoft press book. It's not clean code. I can't think of it now. Maybe it is clean code. Who wrote clean code? No, that's oh, Robert. No, that's not the book I'm thinking of. Um, what's the Microsoft press book? Um, talking about, uh, Integration patterns, designing integration. Steve patterns. McConnell, code code complete. Oh yeah, code, code complete. complete. Yeah. That's, that's an that's another really good book. Yeah. Um, um, and and those are kind of big, but they're it's it's fairly easy. Uh, you know, another a short one. Um, the Pragmatic Programmer. That's a great book. It's it's um and it's timeless too. I mean, they'll talk about <laughs> it'll talk about you know probably stuff that is funny because how dated it is but the, the concepts in it are, are are timeless that's one of those books i don't mind you know every few years i'll kind of pick up and read through um and and these, these are just you know i mean i don't know concepts that aren't necessarily like specific patterns but just you know how to use how to use your tools how to have a good tool chain um you know don't repeat yourself just basic uh, I don't even know what you call those. Yeah, because none of these books are Salesforce specific, but I think they're they're good programming books in general. No, they they predate Salesforce. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's most of them do. It's part of setting up that foundation for yourself. Yep. Anyway, well, I hope that helps. Um, if you have any other specific follow ups, let us know. But yeah, it's also that that'd be a good thing to bring up in the Slack as well to, as a discussion. Well, the Slack hey, the does way, have sir. a Google Doc. John steps on my John steps on my advertisement for the Slack. Well, I was going to say I was going <laughs> to lead you into it. I said I said the Slack community did put together a Google Doc of books. I think it was a Google Doc of of a book listing, um, which I think might be helpful. That that probably is helpful. It's not tailored towards Ray's you know specific context, but yes, that is a I think that's a, a valuable resource. But yeah, dear listener, if you are not in our Slack and uh, you would like to participate in conversations like these, then uh, you should join by going to GoodDaySirPodcast dot com. Uh, and clicking on community and following the instructions or just ask someone who's already in. I think they can add you now or something like that. Nominate you or request something. They can invite you and I just have to click approve. Okay. Invite. That's the word. Yeah. Well, John, I actually had some other things on my, but nothing, uh, nothing great. Uh, Nothing (laughs) that we can't live without nothing that can't wait. And uh, it's been, it's, uh, I, what, well, I've oh, been waiting for you hours. for, uh, oh, but if, if you consider the time I've been, I was waiting for you. <laughs> I'm also at six hours or not six hours, three hours. Sorry. I can't do math. <laughs> told you I wasn't smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had one more community anyway. topic. I don't think it's that long if you want to cover it or we can save it for next. That's time. fine. No, we can. Let's not, do it now. It's not timely. I don't think, uh, but this one comes from some. Sajayan, I, he's, he's always in our Slack. He posts a lot of great art, or links to articles and things. 
Uh, he says, I think you guys discussed this topic in the past. This blog post looks interesting. Maybe you can discuss this once again. But the article is about uh, can Salesforce keep growing? Uh, and it talks, you know what, let's save this one for next time because I think this one re- could use some good analysis. This article isn't bad. I did read it. Had a lot of different kind of sections and broke it out into different ways that Salesforce uh, could grow. A lot of things I didn't agree with because it kind of involved Oracle and AWS quite a bit, which I don't think is going to be their move forward strategy. I think Salesforce will look to be more independent than than say partnering. Uh, oh, but, okay. Mm. But yeah, I think I think we'll say this one because I I do have a lot. I had a lot more to say about it than I thought until I opened up my notes. So we'll okay. save it for the next one. Well, remind me to read it so I'm so I can be informed. We can have an informed discussion. I think I remember seeing this, but I yeah, I I need to be nudged to read it. And also, everyone, let me know again. I'm, I'm really curious on those of you who have gone through uh, this Mac, like I'm migrating a Mac. And I guess it's, I don't know. If, I mean, I, most of it probably applies to. It's I don't think Windows would be that much different, really. But um, yeah, this is this is a challenging thing. I mean, we spend so much time on our computers and. You know, I've, again, uh, as a working uh, developer, I mean, I just so many tools that are they're not, you know, they're it's they're so non-standard in terms of it's not like it's a DMG I just dropped into my or you know open or just dragged an app into my application. Mean, these are these are complex installs that that put things all over your file system and finding where those are and making sure they get moved over. This is this is a non-trivial problem, and well, you probably kind of want to know like what you have. You probably you've got so much muscle memory in your oh, command line. You probably load it up and go to run a command and go, Oh, it's not there. That's right. I have to install this. Yep. And also just it's not just in the, getting the right versions of everything too. That's the other, it's going to be a, a challenge, especially like with homebrew and stuff. So I don't know. I mean, at least, at least there are things like homebrew. Homebrew is not perfect, but um, it, it definitely solves oh, the problem. Right. Makes a lot of things thing. easier. I thought you were talking yeah. about your, your beer brewing stuff. <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot homebrew. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's so many things I've, like I've installed in of those. Yarn. Well, what's what's MPA. the what's the homebrew thing? Oh my god, you cannot hear me. That's so annoying. We're gonna have to. We gotta. We gotta do this in person from now on, John. Jeez, can't handle this. Um, no. What's the thing that homebrew has? What will install? It's it's like an extension of homebrew that installs like GUI applications that go in your applications folder, like normal applications. But it's just, but you can install them through homebrew. Oh, I didn't know. Um, about there's that. a yeah. There's a term they have. It's not casks. That's something else. Um, but anyway, I, you know, I've installed several things via that. I'm just like, and I don't know, I'll just have to, it's just taking inventory or attempting to take inventory of all the things you have that you're going to have to, that you have to move or, or somehow account for. You know, at this point, and I'm I just really scared. Just I'm scared. Current machine. <laughs> I know. I know. That's going to be the, the easiest thing, I think. Yeah. Anyway. That or your right, very John. expensive machine is going to sit there for another week. And I don't think that's very cost effective. It's not. Well, and the, the, again, the big thing, the big time thing is I want to get this machine at my old machine and get to the keyboard fix before I, before that program expires. You get four years from your purchase date and I don't even know what my purchase date was, but I know it was in 2016 and we're in 2020. So at some point this year, I'm going to hit that date. Do you remember when we got these? I don't. I want to say November. But so I'm later in the year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm not either, which is why I, don't, I just don't want to chance it. I mean, I think we're, we put our order in right when it was announced. And these are, yeah, these are late 20, 2016s. Hmm. Uh, yeah, late 2016. Yeah. All right, John. Well, I'm done. You can take us out. Uh, oh, wait a minute. You didn't, did you say the share the likes? You said the Slack. Oh, I said Slack. Yeah. Um, yes. Like us, email, share us. Send us an email at info. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. You can. Com. 
Yep. You can send in your, uh, your community question or feedback or whatever. Uh, info at gooddaysforpodcast.com. You can request stickers. You can, what else can you do? You can complain. You can, you can write a review. Uh, whatever. I would love to see. That's true. Reviews. Oh yeah. Yep. Reviews are good. Makes me feel they help people find us. Mm, you're just an imposter, John. <laughs> well, to that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>